We're going to talk a little bit about the devil this morning. Yeah, I know, I know. There are some Christians in the room, and as soon as I said we're going to be talking about the devil, they were like, he who must not be named. In one fluid motion, you grabbed that anointing oil out of your purse, and you started marking the foreheads of the people around you. You're not hearing a word I'm saying right now because you're already praying against demons. I'm not making fun of you. I promise you I'm not. I just think it's kind of funny that while you gasp when I say devil, there are other people in the auditorium and they groan. They're like, are you kidding me? I finally decide to give church another chance. I drive through the snowpocalypse and then I get here and you guys are talking about that little cartoon guy. Seriously, the one wearing the red spandex suit and he's carrying around that big pitchfork and he's got that creepy goatee. That's who you guys are gonna be talking to me about this morning? I knew I should have stayed home. I can't believe I gave in and you're already checking out. I get that. I understand for most of our world, the idea of there being a force of evil called the devil or Satan or the enemy or whatever it might be. It's so ludicrous that you can't believe anybody would take it seriously. I totally get that. You think it's unsophisticated, maybe silly, juvenile. Totally. I'm with you. I understand that. And in truth, I don't believe in that little cartoon devil either. That's not who we're going to be talking about. But I will say, if you're here this morning and you come from a more skeptical perspective, hey, I'm so glad you're here. You belong at a place like Connect. We want you to come with your skepticism. We want you to come with your questions because I think God welcomes them. And so, so do we. And I think you could sit through today's message. And even if you don't believe that a word of what I'm about to read to you is literally true, you can still get something very helpful out of the message. And so I'm hoping that you'll stay with me for the next few minutes, regardless of whether you are hyper-spiritual or hyper-skeptical. And the reason that I think you'll get something out of it, no matter which end of that spectrum you fall on, is that every single one of us, religious and not religious, Christian and Buddhist, atheist, doesn't matter, we all have these temptations in our life that we would love to overcome, but we really struggle to gain victory over, don't we? It doesn't matter like who you are, how long you've been in church or not. You really do fight the same battles as everybody else that's in the auditorium this morning. Now, our temptations can be really small. Like maybe the temptation you've been dealing with most recently is, I want to eat this whole box of Timbits, you guys, like the whole box. Anybody else struggle with that? liars. Those of you guys who didn't raise your hand, that is a lie. You cannot have one tin bit. You've got to have the whole box. And after you have one box, you've got to have another box. It is hard to say no to those guys. Just pop them in your mouth. Our temptations can be really small and honestly not that big of a deal. And our temptations can be really big too, can't they? The temptations that are so big, they might lead you to whisper to your friend and say, hey, if we did this, nobody could ever right? At some point in your life, you're going to be faced with temptation, and it might be tiny, or it could be really, really terrible, but you're going to fight that, that desire to do something that you probably shouldn't, something that is probably unhealthy, something that's unhelpful, and for those of us who are Christians, we would even say it might be sinful, something that would disconnect us from our love relationship with our Heavenly Father. And so what we don't want is for people to get caught in a cycle of behaviors that they want to be free from, but they can't figure a way out. That's where so many people in our city are. They are things that they keep doing, 
They don't want to do them, but they have no idea how to overcome. That's why we've started this new series. It's called A Way Out, because so many of us are fighting the same temptations, dealing with the same struggles. We keep getting caught in the same cycles of addiction and thought and speech and behavior. We want to do our very best to help you live with fewer regrets. That's our goal in this series. And my guess is you want to live with fewer regrets. Anybody want to live with more regret? Doubtful, right? So we all want to have fewer regrets in our life. And I think that when we go through this material in the scripture, we find the way forward, the way to say no when we really want to say yes, the way to do the right thing instead of the uh, unhealthy or maybe even the sinful thing. And so living with fewer regrets is really the goal of this message series, and we started it last week. It's okay if you're just jumping in for the first time today, you're not going to be lost. Last week, we started with what we will call our theme verse for the entire series. It's 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, and it's verses 12 and 13. So I'll just read them for you. We're not actually going to talk about them this week. But if you find these verses interesting, let me encourage you to go back and listen to last week's message because we go verse by verse or word by word throughout this passage. So the scripture says, 1 Corinthians 10, uh, chapter number, yeah, chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And I'll point out again, many of you are here this morning and you're like, yeah, there's this thing I've been trying to get a hold of in my life. There's this thing that I know is unhealthy, unhelpful. I've been trying to quit. I've been trying to move past it and I can't. And you feel alone. You feel like you're the only person that's struggling with it, or at least to that degree. According to the scripture, the temptations in your life are no different from what everybody else experiences. And I'll also say the temptations that Christians experience are no different than anybody else experiences too. We're all in the same boat. Cool news is God is faithful. He will not allow a temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. That phrase, you might have noticed it in there, is a way out. That's why we've titled this whole series, A Way Out, because that's what some of you want. It's what many of us need, a way out from the temptation that's been holding us back for years and years and years. Now, speaking of a way out, we're actually going to look this morning at the temptation of Jesus by the devil. I told you we're gonna be talking about Satan today. And so Satan comes at one point and he tests or tempts Jesus. And Jesus is able to find a way out of the temptation that he undergoes. And if we pay close attention, I think we can learn something about how we can find a way out when we're tempted, when we're struggling, when we really want to say yes, but we know the right thing for us to do is to say no. So let's take a look at this passage here. It's Matthew chapter number four. We'll put the verses on the screen for you so you can follow along. And I'll tell you, as I often do, this particular Bible that I'm going to be reading from for you today, we have for free out at the guest center. So on your way out this morning, just stop by and say, hey, can I have one of those free Bibles that Pastor Dan talked about. If you don't have a copy of the scripture, we want you to leave with one this morning because there's so much good stuff in here, you guys. You can read it for yourself. You'll be like, whoa, I had no idea the Bible said stuff like that. So get a copy of it if you don't have one, all right? Matthew chapter number four, the scripture starts out and it says, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. All right, Captain Obvious, Matthew. It's like the most obvious thing he could have said. Jesus did not have anything to eat for 40 days, and at the end of 40 days, he was hungry. I can relate to that. I go four hours and I get hangry, you guys. Jesus went 
40 days with nothing but water as far as we know. And at the end of the 40 days, he was very, very hungry. And so in verse number three, the Bible says, during that time, the devil came and said to him. Now we're going to get to what the devil said to him in just a minute, but I want to point out something really important here. You might have noticed that the first word or the way that this particular story starts off in the Bible is with the phrase, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Anytime you're reading the Bible, And you see a word like then, or therefore, or after that, or because of these things. Anytime you see those sorts of phrases, you want to read what comes before. Because the authors of scripture are tying what just happened to what's about to happen. And so it is here in Matthew chapter number 4. Yeah, Matthew chapter 4. In order to understand Matthew 4, you have to understand Matthew chapter number 3. You won't be able to make sense out of the temptations of Jesus unless you understand what happens in the moments leading up to the temptations. So, anybody know offhand what happens in Matthew 3? You want some bonus points? Shout it out. What is it? Baptized. Baptism, right? Jesus is baptized. He's water baptized in Matthew chapter number 3. This is what Matthew is trying to draw your attention to, the connection between this baptism moment of Jesus and the temptation moment of Jesus. So we'll go back and I'll read you just one quick verse from Matthew chapter number three. Jesus is baptized, not in a hot tub in the theater lobby like we do every couple of months here at Connect. He was baptized in the Jordan River in ancient Israel. And the scripture tells us that after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the spirit of God descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly beloved son who brings me great joy. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Isn't it so interesting how this moment of baptism leads directly into this moment of temptation? How he hears the voice of God and then he hears another voice altogether immediately following. Can you imagine what a spiritual high Jesus' baptism must have been? It must have been such a cool moment, right? To see the Savior baptized, he comes up, the heavens are open, doves fall from the sky, there are voices, and everybody's like, whoa, where's that voice coming from? It's the voice of the Father. My baptism was cool, but I didn't have any of that stuff, you guys. This must have been a really special moment. It was a spiritual high, And I want to remind you of something that I said to you last week, and that is that temptations often come in our moments of strength, not our moments of weakness. You would think that Jesus is so close to the Father in this moment that he would never be tempted. There would be no risk of him saying yes when he should say no. But we learn from this passage that quite often temptation comes in the moment when you least expect it. That spiritual highs are often followed by spiritual lows. You will hear the voice of heaven and then soon after you'll hear the voice of hell. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, the passage we just read a moment ago, if any of you think you're standing strong, I got this, I don't have to worry, I was just baptized, I just heard the voice of God, there is no way I'm going to do anything wrong in this moment. If any of you think you're standing strong, be careful. Be careful that you don't fall. You can count on it, you guys. Anytime God does something big in your life, Satan will be right behind him trying to pluck up the seeds that were just planted. 
every single time. And this explains what so many of you are going through right now. So many of you are like, God, I have started to try to make you a priority in my life. Like I've started going to church. I got baptized. You remember that time I gave money in the offering? Yep, I get credit for that. I serve on the dream team. And yet, it's like there are parts of my life that have not gotten better since I started prioritizing my relationship with you. It's like there are some parts of my life that have even gotten worse. What is going on, God? This is what's going on. You are taking steps closer to God, and that makes you a bigger target of attack for the enemy. I want you guys to never forget, new levels always bring new devils. Every single time. By the way, that's the most Pentecostal thing I've ever said in my entire life. New levels always bring new devils. If you want to go deeper in your faith, you have to know it is going to cause you to go through more difficult situations. If you want to take a step further in your journey of following Jesus, you have to know that you will be attacked even more for doing it. When we shared our This Is, our, this is My Story series last month, I pulled aside those people who had their stories told on the big screen and I prayed for them because I said there are going to be some people in your life who don't like what you have to say. You are going to become a target because you have taken a step. This is precisely what we see illustrated in Jesus' life. He goes from a spiritual high and it leads him to a spiritual low. In order to go somewhere you've never been, you will have to encounter things you have never dealt with before. Count on it. Don't be surprised. So if you've tried to prioritize your relationship with Jesus and your family has gotten more difficult or your schedule has gotten even busier or your faith seems like it's shrinking in some way, don't be surprised. Moments of spiritual highs are often followed by moments that are spiritual lows. But if you want to find a way out of temptation, the way to keep going when you want to quit, the way to do the right thing in the moment you want to do the wrong thing. If you are looking for that way out, you have to know when temptation is likely to show up. And it is not always when you expect, when you're weak or in the areas that you're weak. It is quite often in these moments of spiritual depth and glory and weight and meaning. Okay, so let's look at what the devil said to him. Verse number three. During that time, the devil came and said to Jesus, if you are the son of God, then tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So the first temptation that the devil gives to Jesus is bread. That's a little strange to me, to be quite honest with you. It is weird that he starts with the temptation for bread. Now, I would believe the devil would tempt me that way. I've been on the keto diet for a couple of years, and I believe the devil would come up and say, Dan, don't those breadsticks look good? Don't you want to undo all the progress you've made over the last couple of years? I could expect temptation for me that way, but it seems weird that the opening, the opening salvo from the devil on Jesus would be like, you can make some breadsticks, man. You could turn these stones into bread and satisfy your hunger. It's like the devil is saying to Jesus, hey, Jesus, you're the son of God, right? Jesus would say, well, yeah, of course I am. And you have miraculous power, right? Yeah, of course I do. I could turn water to wine if you want me to. He would say, you're starving, right? Because you've been, you've been fasting for 40 days. And Jesus would say, yeah, of course I'm very, very hungry. So the devil says, you could take care of yourself right now. 
You could command these stones to become bread. You could feed yourself, and then you could go on to do whatever it is that you wanted to do. Remember what I told you last week? Temptation, one of the ways we can define temptation is that it is the opportunity to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. And that's exactly what Satan is offering Jesus here. His hunger is a legitimate thing. And it probably wouldn't have been a big deal for him to just go ahead and make some bread and feed himself. His, his uh, fasting period was over. This was the end of it. And so he could have done it, but it would have been meeting a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. And so Jesus, thankfully, rejected it. Okay, you guys thought I was kidding earlier when I made the joke about eating Timbits and saying like, oh, some of the temptations you guys face are just what you eat. But literally the first temptation Jesus went through was eating something that he shouldn't have eaten. I'll also add another wrinkle to that. If you go all the way back to the first book of the Bible, you know what you find out? The very first temptation that anybody faced was the temptation to eat something that they weren't supposed to eat, right? Adam and Eve, that God says to them, don't eat this one fruit, and what do they do? They blow it, they eat the one fruit. So some of you guys are like, I just feel like my biggest battle is stuff I'm not supposed to eat. You're not alone. It happens all throughout the Bible. So Jesus is tempted by the devil in this very strange way, a way that doesn't seem to matter very much. What would be the harm? He's hungry. He's gonna go into Jerusalem and get some bread anyway, so why not make some in the moment? But I think Jesus understood something that you and I often forget. And that is, if we compromise on the little things today, it becomes so much easier to compromise on the bigger things tomorrow. Do you realize that often the enemy will put something in front of you? You will face a temptation and your natural reaction is going to say, but this is such a tiny thing. Like, who cares? Nobody's going to know. It's not going to ruin my soul. It's not going to land me in jail. It doesn't matter. I could do it and it wouldn't be that big of a deal. But oftentimes the temptation in front of you is not the issue. It's the temptation that's just around the corner. And I believe that if Jesus had said yes to this tiny temptation that really didn't matter much in the big run, in the long run, he would have been completely unequipped to say no to the temptations that were about to come. So when we say you've got to learn to say no, even to the little things that don't seem like such a big deal, it's because we recognize that often there are much bigger issues at play in the small decisions that we have to make day in and day out. If you want a way out, you have to recognize that often there is more at stake than what you can see with the temptation or decision that's right in front of your eyes. Okay, so Jesus survives the first temptation. Verse number five, then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. But Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, devil, the scriptures also say, you must not tempt the Lord your God. This second temptation I find to be the most interesting of all for a bunch of different reasons. But one of the primary reasons I'm so fascinated by this is because Satan does something here that I would never expect. He quotes scripture to Jesus. Did you catch that? That is bizarre, you guys, that the devil knows the Bible and he quotes it in order to trick us into doing what he wants us to do. He takes Jesus up to the highest point of the temple. The temple in this, uh, in this time frame in the city of Jerusalem, the highest point would have been two or maybe even close to 300 feet off the ground, 20, 30 stories up. 
I don't know if they climbed. I don't know if they Star Trek zapped there. I don't know. But somehow he gets up to the top of the temple and the devil says to Jesus, you could jump. You are so important that if you were to throw yourself off the temple right now, God would save you. He would catch you. And don't forget this verse from the book of Psalms says he wouldn't even let your, your uh, toe get stubbed on a rock. So why not do it? This was early in the ministry of Jesus. Nobody knew who he was at this point. Nobody had any clue who he was. And so Satan offers Jesus in this moment essentially a shortcut. He says, jump off. And as you're plummeting 300 feet to the ground, you'll land like an action hero. Can you imagine what a dope entrance that would be? Somebody jumps off a skyscraper and just lands. Everybody would say, whoa, who are you? And you could say, I'm Jesus, the son of God, savior of all. Now listen to me. And everybody would have listened, right? Who could ignore that kind of entrance? This would have been an amazing show of force by Jesus. But can I tell you, God's plan for Jesus to change the world was not supposed to be through a display of force. It was supposed to be through a display of weakness. Jesus was gonna change the world, not by dropping in like a superhero, but instead by dying like a criminal. And if he had taken this shortcut, if he had dropped in and done something that everybody had to stop and look at, we would have missed out on the ultimate victory that God was able to demonstrate. Because yes, Jesus went through what looked like great weakness. He was humiliated. He was executed on the cross. But God demonstrated this ultimate victory, his great power, when although going through the worst circumstances imaginable, Jesus resurrected on Easter day. So there was power that could only be displayed through the weakness. And Satan said, let's just avoid that weakness. Wouldn't it be better if you didn't have to get arrested and flogged? stripped naked and hung on a cross? Wouldn't it be better if you could just drop in and with all authority and power command people to follow you? But if Jesus had done that, he would have missed out on God's plans. Can I tell you guys, you're gonna be faced in life with lots of opportunities to take shortcuts. That's part of what a temptation is. It is a temptation to do the right thing in the wrong way. And I'm telling you, you cannot get to God's destinations by going through different ways. You can't do it. You can only get where God wants you to go by going the direction and the path and the journey that he has for you. If you take a shortcut, you will always end up at a different destination. If Jesus had jumped off the temple like an action hero, he would have never been fit to become the savior of all. So it's incredibly important that we not only end up where God wants us to go, but we get there the way that God wants us to get there. And that might be a little longer than what you would like it to be, might be a little harder of a journey, but in the long run, it is always worth it. Now, there's another thing that's going on in this verse before we get to the last temptation that I want to point out, because it's usually by verse 7 where people start to think, oh, I totally get what's going on here. I understand the point of the story, the temptations of Christ. I know what God wants me to understand. Because people start to recognize, hmm, every time Jesus is tempted by the enemy, what does he do? He quotes scripture every time. And so it's very easy for us to say, oh, that's the point of this passage. If I'm feeling tempted, then I just need to quote the right Bible verse, and Satan's like, Whoa, and he runs, right? 
Now listen, I'm not telling you that quoting Bible verses is bad. In fact, it's one of the best things you can do for your relationship with God and for your soul. You need to read the Bible. That's why I told you to go get a free one. You need to memorize the scripture because I can't tell you how often I'm tempted to do the wrong thing. And a verse pops in my head and I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what I needed in this moment to have the strength to say no when I really wanna say yes. So don't mishear me. I'm not saying that memorizing the Bible and quoting scripture is unimportant. But can I tell you, the devil, probably knows more Bible verses than you do. Even if you've got lots of scripture memorized, he's been around a bit longer. Like El Diablo, the Bible tells us, was created just after time began. You've been around for about 45 years. He's been around for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands. So he's had more time and he demonstrates that he knows scripture, probably some that you don't. And so I don't think the primary point that Jesus is trying to communicate here is that you and Satan are supposed to get into this Harry Potter style duel, you know, where you're shooting verses at each other and whichever one of you runs out first loses because that's a, that's, a, that's a competition we're probably gonna lose. I, I have college degrees in the Bible, you guys, and my memorization is gonna run out at some point. So I'm not sure that this is what God wants us to get from the passage. I actually think there's something better, something deeper, something much more valuable going on here. And I'll tell you what it is as soon as we read this last temptation of Christ. So next, verse number eight, the devil took Jesus to the peak of a very high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he says, Jesus, I'll give it all to you if you will just kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus said. Now, I'll just pause and I'll say, I'm not one to correct Jesus, okay? I'm not that guy. But I have to say, Jesus missed a really good opportunity to say, not today, Satan. I just wish that was, like those were the words that came out of his mouth. That would have been so perfect. But instead, he said, get out of here, Satan. For the scriptures say, again, he goes back to the Bible, that you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil went away and angels came and took care of him. Now this last temptation that Jesus faced, it must have been incredibly enticing. It must have been really, it must have been something that Jesus thought about for a moment. Because this is precisely what Jesus came to earth for, to win the kingdoms of the world. It's the whole reason he came. And so Satan says to Jesus, Jesus, I will give you exactly what you want in life. I will wrap it up in a bow and you won't have to do anything for it. The only thing that you'll have to do to get everything you want is to turn your back on your heavenly father. And if you would just turn your back on your heavenly father, if you would just kneel down and worship me, I'll give you everything that you say you want. Now, my guess is Satan's never gonna come to you or to me and say, I'll give you everything you, I'll give you the keys to the kingdoms of the world if you'll just turn your back on your heavenly father. You know, there's the old like joke about how really great rock and roll stars, they sold their, they sold their soul to the devil in order to play the guitar like that. It's probably not how it works. But I will say, it'll remind you of what I told you last week, that often what temptation is, is the promise of satisfaction at the cost of our obedience to God. This is what Satan is tempting Jesus with. I'll give you everything you want. You'll be satisfied. You'll have exactly what you came to earth for, but you've got to turn your back on your heavenly father. 
And this is the same temptation that we face each and every time. Whose voice am I gonna trust in this moment? Am I gonna trust the voice of temptation that promises me the easy path? Or am I gonna trust the voice of the Father who promises that he loves me and he has my best interests at heart? Am I going to do what's easy? Or am I gonna do what's right? Am I gonna be obedient? Or am I gonna choose what's expedient? Am I gonna say yes? Or am I gonna say no? Because I know that's the healthier thing for me to do. These temptations that Jesus go through really are very similar to what you and I experience day in and day out. Now, I've got some bad news for you guys. All of that was the introduction to my message. I know some of you guys are like, this kid, are you serious? I'm leaving right now. We're gonna go through the last part of the message very quickly. But I needed to set the stage for all of this so you would understand the importance about where we're going or of where we're going next. Because rather than getting hung up on the individual temptations of Jesus, which is often the way that we approach this. Um, rather than getting hung up on the individual temptations, what I wanna do is I wanna point out the standard attack that the devil uses, the approach or the technique that he tempts Jesus with. And it's there in each one of these three temptations. It's so important that you understand what's going on here. In the first two temptations, it's very explicit. In the third temptation, it's there but it's implicit, it's present, but it doesn't quite spell it out the same way. Did you notice the way that the devil started every single temptation to Jesus? Did you catch it? We'll put it on the screen here for you. In verse number three, he said, if you are the son of God. Verse number six, second temptation. He said, if you are the son of God. Third temptation. He doesn't use those words, but it's the same idea. If you will kneel down and worship me instead of God. If you are the son of God. If, are you kidding me? Jesus had just heard the voice of the father say, you are my beloved son. And the point and the place that Satan decided to uh, direct his attack was at that very thought. Listen, Jesus went through temptation the same way that you and I go through temptation. We are tempted not by our desires, not in our behaviors, but ultimately we're tempted in our identity. This is the root of every single temptation that you will ever go through. It was the root of Jesus' temptation. Are you the son of God? If you're really the son of God, would he let you go through this? Would he let you starve in the desert? Would he let you be rejected by the people you came to save? Would he let you be beaten? Would he let you be arrested? Would he let you be stripped naked and hung on a cross? If you're really the son of God, do you think any of this stuff would be happening? And this is precisely what the enemy does to me and to you. If you're really the son of God, Dan, do you think God would let you go through these things? If you're really the daughter of God, do you think that these sorts of situations would be playing out? He will always attack you in your identity, first and foremost. Because if Satan can drive a wedge between your relationship with your heavenly father, he's won. It's just a matter of time. You will eventually give in. But if you can remain assured and confident of the fact that you are chosen and adopted by your heavenly father, that you are created in his image, that despite all of your mistakes and shortcomings and even your sins, you are loved perfectly and completely by your heavenly father. If you remain assured of that, 
it will be very hard for temptation to gain a stronghold in your life. So he wants to go after your identity before anything else. You think it's about behavior. You think it's about saying no and yes and all of that. But in reality, it's about reminding yourself of whose you are. That's because in the end, temptation is not a test of your self-control. It is a test of your faith. Temptation is not a test of your self-control. It is a test of your faith. When you are faced with the temptation to do something that you know is wrong or unhealthy or unhelpful, the question you shouldn't be asking is, okay, how strong am I? How can I force my way through this? How can I hold on tight when I really just want to let go? The question you want to ask is, how loved am I? Because if you can answer that question, if you can recognize how deeply and fully and sincerely you're loved and accepted by God, then you won't worry about trying to white knuckle your way through temptation or quote the right verses at the devil so that you can overcome. You will simply allow God's love and grace to help you overcome. We have a confidence that comes from our identity or our relationship with God. And it is only by trusting in that relationship that you will ever be able to find a way out. Only by trusting in your relationship with God that you will ever be able to overcome temptation. That's the middle part of my message. Here comes the end. Because there's one last layer to this and it takes it from cool, good, yeah, that's great. And it goes next level once you start to put all of these pieces together. It starts with understanding this one simple principle, that Jesus is not just your example, he is your savior. Jesus is not just your example in life. That's what people want to reduce Jesus to. He's my example. I'm supposed to model my life after him. I'm supposed to do what he did. And that's true to a certain extent, but that doesn't go far enough. If Jesus is just your example and you're supposed to follow his example, then you need to go to the desert. You need to fast for 40 days and nights. You need to get real hungry and then have a showdown with the devil because that's what your example did. By the way, it probably also means that you should go to the cross, suffer that as well, because you're just following the example that Jesus set. But Jesus is not merely our example. He is our savior. What that means is he does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Your entire life history, all of human history proves that we suck at overcoming temptation. None of us are any good at it. We all fail. We get it right once, we get it wrong 40 times. So we can't overcome temptation on our own. Temptation is not a test of your willpower. It is a test of your faith. Jesus does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. So the Bible teaches this thing called the substitutionary ministry of Jesus. And essentially what that means is everything that I get wrong in life, Jesus got right. Everything I was supposed to do, but I just can't quite make myself do it, Jesus actually did it. And because he succeeded where all of us have failed, he is qualified to save us when we cannot save ourselves. So listen, you can actually go through and basically every moment in Jesus' ministry, you can see how he is substituting his perfection for our imperfection. You can do it in nearly every moment. 
But today we're just gonna focus on this idea of temptation because what you might not realize is that when Jesus goes into the desert to be tempted, he is actually reenacting and undoing what happened in the garden during the first temptation. So if you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, you find out that our spiritual ancestors were in a perfect environment. Adam and Eve, they were in paradise and they had one stinking rule. You had one job, Adam. And although they were in a perfect environment and they had only one thing to get right, just like me and you, they failed. They dropped the ball. They gave in to temptation. They said yes when they should have said no. They did the wrong thing instead of the right thing. Now, parallel that with what we just read in Matthew chapter number four. Now we have Jesus, who the New Testament, by the way, calls the second Adam. He comes along, and although he's not in paradise, he's in the worst environment imaginable. He's in the Israeli desert, and his situation is terrible because he hasn't eaten. He's physically weak. He was probably emotionally and even spiritually weak. And in the middle of this terrible circumstance and situation, Jesus succeeds in overcoming temptation. Adam and Eve should have, but they didn't. You and I should be able to get this right, but we, ever, we can't ever seem to make it happen. Jesus, though, has always been successful in overcoming where we have failed. So here's the great news. Because Jesus is victorious over every temptation that he faces, he is the one who is fit to be our savior. If you approach temptation by saying, okay, God wants me to do the right thing, so I need to knuckle down, I need to gather all of my strength, I need to make sure I'm prayed up, and you know, I'm gonna go at this, and in my own strength, I'm gonna overcome, you will fail. I'll fail, we'll all fail, because Jesus is the only one who has ever fully overcome. He's the only one who's qualified to be our savior. Look at what Hebrews chapter number two says. In Hebrews chapter number two, the Bible tells us since Jesus himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tempted. That phrase help us, it literally means come to the rescue of somebody. I don't get it right, you don't get it right, and for as long as we keep trying to get it right, we're gonna get it wrong. So the substitutionary ministry of Jesus is he came and got it right. And because of that, there's this exchange that happens. So when God looks at me, he doesn't see a screw up anymore. He sees his son who didn't screw up. When God looks at me, he doesn't see somebody who keeps falling into the same actions and temptations and addictions. Instead, he sees Jesus who is able to say no when it mattered most. My friends, the point of this passage, the temptations of Jesus, the point is not that you can overcome temptation if you just have the virtue of Jesus. That is not at all what the Bible is teaching you. And the point of this passage is not that you can overcome temptation if you can outduel the devil when it comes to quoting Bible verses. The point of this passage and the point of the whole New Testament, the point of the Christian faith is that the one who overcame temptation for me is the one who will overcome temptation in me. Jesus does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. So being a Christian is not being a good person. It is acknowledging that we're not particularly good people and we need God's help. We need his grace. So the next time you're faced with temptation, you don't say, okay, God, I'm gonna do my best for you. You say, Jesus, 
I'm gonna fail if I'm at this by myself. I need you to give me the victory in this moment, the same way that you've given me the victory over sin, over hell, over separation from God. I am trusting in you and not in myself. Thank you.